How's everybody doing today? My name is Christian Wagner and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today I decided to do a little bit different format. I guess this will kind of be like a, a Q&A sort of thing, but it's going to just be all on the on the Trinity. So if you have any questions, objections, whatever, I'll uh, I'll answer them for you. I got my my Suma opened in another tab. So uh, yes, you have to understand that. I I do not know anything myself. I'm a, I'm actually a little bit retarded. But I've spent so much time in the table of contents of the Suma that even though I can probably answer like none of your questions, I will find out what Thomas said. So I will be able to answer your question from him. So that's something very important to realize. But before that, brief advertisements going all around. So I'm actually going to just boom. Let's see if uh, it actually works. Yes, Arians are terrified of militant Thomist. I, will dist- I, I want a Jehovah's Witness to come to my door so bad. I've never had one. So if anybody could put my address on the Jehovah's Witness thing, I might like uh, send forth a little bit of uh, what are they called a um, a uh, like a little card or something saying that I'm interested. So they come to my house so I can tell them to return to Christ and Holy Mother Church. Maybe I'll do it. So this right here, ChristianBWagner.com slash shop. This is the Militant Thomas shop. So if you become a patron at patreon.com slash militantomas, you get access to all of these PDFs to these books I'm about to show you and do free articles and stuff like that. And I'll occasionally do a video, although I've been a bit lax recently because I have been busy and sick. So get that world famous militantomist mug. Look at that glory. Blessed Scotus is Ortonatio. I've done the first volume. I have not started on the second volume yet, which I probably should. Dialogue on the existence of God. Manual of Catholic Apologetics, Essay on the Brethren of the Lord, Dissertation on the Death of Christ, Aristotle and the Church, and then Hunter's Outlines of Dogmatic Theology, which is my newest. So if you want to help the show out um, and get books, it, it uh, made sure I only reprint good books. So there, that's your brief advertisement. And since we will be talking about the Holy and Blessed Trinity, I will begin with a collect. Let me see. So let us pray. We adore thee, most holy Trinity. We worship thee and thank thee that thou hast revealed to us this glorious mystery. Grant, we beseech thee that, persevering in this faith and loving thee above all things, we may see thee and glorify thee eternally, whom we confess, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, one God in three persons, blessed forevermore. Amen. Let us be able to go. Okay, so I don't know about Jehovah's Witnesses, but I know you can request a visit from the Mormons if you go to their website. Oh, that is that is helpful. Unitarians hate him. So you might be able to find a local Jehovah's Witness group on Google and give them a phone call or email to visit you. Oh, yes. But they're, they're insane. They, like, they get absolutely like brainwashed and stuffed full of like like cage uh, what, what, what would they be i can't think of the like responses that they're just given to you what, what are those called man i'm terrible at this i can't even think of the word you know you know uh 
I can't believe it. Can't remember it. Well, response is that they, they basically just memorize a bunch of um a bunch of responses. Um, and then like no matter what you say, boom, they got it. So I'm gonna light the militant candle. Oh, 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 that's burning my finger so bad. That was a terrible idea. You had to make sure you turn the candle sideways before you light it. Okay, so I see a question about inseparable operations. So that is a good one. Okay, throw it in the militant bowl. Boiler canned responses. That's what I was thinking of. Okay, so let me see. I saw Augustine's picture yesterday, and since I love Catholic families, I had to become a patron. W, absolute W. I was actually making fun of Cameron Bertuzzi because he posted a picture of his family and said, become a patron. So uh, for context, that's why I posted a picture of Augustine. I said, become a patron. So, But hey, it worked. Okay, so Christian, I guess I'm asking myself this. How do you affirm inseparable operations without falling into patropassianism? Okay, so this is going to deal with both Christology and Trinitarian theology. So first you have to realize, I think people don't understand too well the concept of a real distinction versus a merely rational distinction. Because there is a real distinction between the person, the hypostases, of the trinity so there's a real distinction between the father and the son there's a real distinction between the son and the spirit and the father and the spirit and yes there's real distinctions between the two so when it comes to uh a the the passion or uh, effect on a certain hypostasis that would be affecting on a certain subject now since there's no real relation between god and creatures in normal cases, there is no passion, which happens to the hypostases of the Trinity from creatures. So creatures do not affect God. But because of the incarnation, there is this ability. So in, in the intertrinitarian relations, there is, uh, can be said, action and passion, because there are there is um, opposite relations of the father begetting, the son begotten, the spirit spirated, the father and the son spirating. There are these opposite relations of the persons in these intertrinitarian relations. Okay. So with the incarnation, you have one of the hypostases who is incarnate, and this subject is able to receive passion from creatures because this hypostasis now has a human nature. So when it comes to the crucifixion of Christ, while we truly say that the second person of the Trinity died, we don't say that the second person of the Trinity died according to his divinity. And this, this objection would follow if we said that he did die according to his divinity. Because if he did die according to his divinity, then obviously, uh, since there is circumcession, which means, or uh, perichoresis, since the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are kind of... Uh, the, the way it's described is they're dancing around one another and they go whoosh, 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 in and out from one another. I, I don't know how to make that an analogy, um, kind of, you know, 
They're, they're mutually indwelling. There you go. Mutually indwelling one another. If the divinity of Christ was suffering, if Christ was suffering according to his divinity, then the subjection would follow and the father would be suffering. But because the son is a individualized subject um, and he suffers in his humanity, therefore the father and the spirit are not said to suffer, but only the son according to his humanity. So I hope that helps. This kind of brings in Christology and Trinitarian theology. Stock answers. I guess that would be boilerplate responses. Man, we have we've come up with a lot of a lot of words for this. You guys are very good. Do you think that the essence energy distinction debate is a matter of orthodoxy and heresy or admissible theological pluralism within the church? Oh gosh. I think it depends. Um because at least I, I I'm no expert on on this debate. I am I'm just a Thomist who's read the triads. And I read apparently um Byzantine Scotist has let me know. Uh well Byzantine Scotist through somebody else, through Militant Jamie, has let me know that the edition of the triads I read weren't too good. So when it comes to um what I've heard, so this this is this is very uh, very technical right here. What I've heard from multiple figures, it can be a matter of orthodoxy and heresy, because the way that I've heard it expressed uh, by some, what you have is a real uh, denial that God is um, simplex, that God is simple. So in some, there is that real denial. And since, since that was defined at Vatican I and Lateran IV, because it has been defined over and over again by ecumenical councils, a denial of which would be something which is denying a, um, something which is defined, of defined faith. So it is de fide, so it would be heresy. But others have expressed the distinction in such a way as it as that it does not break that definition from Lateran four, And that's uh, what you find usually in Eastern Catholic circles. So I think it has to do with, um, with who you're talking about. With some people, yes, it, it, does, it, it does turn into a matter of orthodoxy and heresy. And with others, I would say no. So it all depends on who you're talking to. But Palamas himself, I, I can't really make a make a judgment on that because uh, apparently I haven't read a good edition for, of the triads. So um, until there is a good edition of the triads, I will, I will wait to make a judgment. Okay. Can the father be said to suffer in the sense that he is displeased to see one who he loves, namely the son go through immense pain in the way that we suffer when we see loved ones go through pain. Okay, so this is, you know, will I, will I decide to, let me see how fast I can find this text from Summa Contra Gentiles. The Summa Contra Gentiles 1 around 90 that he basically treats this question. You know what, I'll just go from, I'll just go off the cuff. Okay, so going off the cuff here. When it comes to what we may say by the suffering of God, so a certain uh, passion, or I'm going to actually remove this because it isn't. Nah, I won't remove it. 
it's fine. You guys don't need to see my face. So when it comes to sacred scripture itself, it does use this language of God suffering um, or having sorrow or, or such like that. So this language must refer to something which is real. But if we remember the way in which language relates to God, the way in which sacred scripture uses language, it's referring to a certain uh, created perfection, which is also present in God. But it exists analogously. Um, this relation is one um, of analogy. It exists in a different mode in God as it exists in creatures. So what we do when we take this term um, and our ideas of that term found in creatures, for example, uh, hatred, which is found in creatures, we remove the imperfections, which are uh, concomitant, which come along with that term in creatures. So with suffering um, in creatures, there is that imperfection, which uh, which comes along with it of inability or with um, with passion. We, we have a, a sort of change of emotions or an intense emotional reaction that does not exist in God when it comes to uh, our suffering or our passion when it comes to the suffering of others or our sorrow, properly speaking, it would be called sorrow. So when we remove all of these imperfections. And we take it, take the positive perfections that are present in that term, and then elevate it to the level of the divine essence. When we talk about suffering in God, what we're talking about is the inclination of God to remove, um, remove evil, which is present to his creatures. So that inclination to remove evil is the sorrow of what we speak of when we speak of the sorrow of God. So in this sense, yes, we can we can speak of of suffering being in the in the divinity. Have you read the new book on the Trinity by Father Thomas Joseph White? No, but I really want to. I'm really upset because I can't find the PDF to it because I've been wanting to snag the PDF. It might be at the moment because it seems so good. It just seems so good that. Um, that I might just actually buy a physical copy. I hate buying physical books. I, I despise it. Or I think there might be a Kindle version, now that I think of it. Um, so yeah, I really want to watch that. So if any of you have access to, to the PDF, uh, send it my way, and I'll be much appreciative. Most of my reading of the Trinity has been in the, uh, the STS, the um, Sacred Theologiae uh, Summa, and then also in... Let's see if I can pronounce his name. Nicolas, Nicolas's uh, Catholic Dogmatic Theology, uh, Paul's uh, Dogmatic Theology, Halls, who is an Anglican, uh, but he is actually um, recommended by Paul, interestingly enough, one of the few Protestant authors. His Dogmatic Theology, um, obviously the Summa, the Summa Contra Gentiles, um, uh, where he covers it in De Potentia, um, Compendium Theologiae is another place that's good. So I've, I've been a little bit uh, eclectic. And then uh, I've also read through, interestingly enough, let, let me see. I don't have the volume because I was actually rereading it last night. Uh, so it's in, it's in the living room. But Lombard Sentences. Um, I, I have read Lombard Sentences, Volume 1, which is mostly on the Trinity, although the first question 
and uh, the last, I mean, the first distinction and the last few distinctions are not in the Trinity. And then St. Thomas's uh, commentary on those relevant sections. Um, I've read some of that. And it's pretty good, um, obviously. Oh, there it is. My wife brought it in for me. Ah, look at that. Lombard Sentences, Volume 1, on the mystery of the Holy Trinity. So, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And then also, another reminder, Sylvester Joseph Hunter, Outlines of Dogmatic Theology. You can get that at christianbwagner.com slash shop. That is another really good uh, intro text. It'll only take like an hour or two to read, but it uh, it defines terms. It gives uh, background proof. And then also, uh, I forget, man, so many texts running through my mind, but Lagrange, his uh, commentary on the one God, you can find that on EWTN. They have it for free. Um, and then also his, um, his uh, reality, um, he that that book has a section on some questions of trinitarian theology so that that's about it when it comes to my my running down the list of texts which i've read there's a few others which i have uh in pdf that i need to that i still need to read but if you are if you are like on a very advanced uh level than sts i would say would be the best but if you're on a more basic level then then there's there's nothing wrong with uh picking up hunter's dogmatic theology that i think is is really good when it comes to an introduction that won't take you forever to read and you're really able to reread it and to um get the general proofs for the trinity the general language used and, and such like that okay in one, in what sense did the Father forsake the Son on the cross? Well, I think I don't, I don't know if I'm prepared to answer this question, but at, at least from from my own thought about this this matter, um, we can't. Okay, basically, uh, read the whole Psalm. That's my that's my thought is uh, when when God's saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, you have to read the whole psalm and and realize it in in the fact that because they were a psalm singing culture, saying the first line from that psalm would have brought into mind the the whole the whole psalm to the to the people. Um, so so. That, that's my that's my thought on that. Just read the whole psalm, and it gives you a much different idea of what's going on there at the cross. Okay, so do you think the essence and energy distinction is antithetical to divine simplicity? Yeah, I, again, I think it it depends on on who you're talking to. But yes, if you if you are saying if you're putting forth this, which I've heard people put forward, and this is kind of how the the Greeks are represented in the manuals of theology, the manualists represent them like this. So take it take that for what it is. Is that there is a real distinction, which means a distinction um, which is existing in reality, not a um, distinction with some sort of uh, foundation which exists in the mind so um, there's a real distinction between the essence of god and the energies of god 
So yes, that would break divine simplicity. But I've heard others who have presented it in differing ways, which would sound something a little bit more like Scotus's formal distinction, which I'm not prepared to uh, to pontificate on. I'll, I'll bring on Byzantine Scotus one time to, to tell you guys about that. Helpful explanation on analogy. Thank you. I did a I did a video on that. I think that's one of the best. Uh, I mean, one of the most important um, topics when it comes to understanding the doctrine of God has to do with understanding the analogy of proper proportionality. And Cajetan uh, has a really good work translated into English on analogy. And uh, Grenier, um, in his uh, cur uh, Cursus Philosophiae, um, I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong, but his um, his three volume set on uh, Thomistic philosophy. He has a really good section on analogy that'll kind of give you the, the quick and dirty about it in five to 10 pages. That's what Grenier is good on is Grenier will, will present the, uh, the general outlines of the various schools, um, Scotistic, uh, Suarezian and, and Thomistic and nominalist too, when it comes to various issues of philosophy. What do you think of Kierkegaard, uh, which says that Christianity is not a matter of knowledge, but of being Christian? Uh, I think we can run into some to some problems with with such a statement, because I would I would ask any I would ask Kierkegaard and anybody who is who is putting forth that uh, what they mean by knowledge is it. Because um, when it comes to the final cause of man, when it comes to our last end, it has to do with knowledge. It has to do with the beatific vision. So in, in the sense of the intellectual approbation uh, of a certain object existing in reality um, and the union of the intellect with the divinity, then, then that is, by very definition, being a Christian. But if by knowledge you mean a mere, um, uh, because because knowledge can be defined in the same sense as faith, because charity is greater than than faith. Faith is the is the intellectual assent to dog, the dogmatic facts of the Christian religion, and uninformed faith, um, fides informata, in, informatis or informata, can't remember which. See, terrible Latinist. But when it comes to uninformed faith, that is worth nothing. That is dead faith. But faith, which is formed by charity, which uh, may be what you mean by being Christian, that is the only uh, efficacious and saving faith. So in one sense, yes. In another sense, no. And, uh, yeah. And I ask this because St. Thomas Aquinas said that all his works count as nothing compared to the sincere prayer of an old lady. Yeah, I, I once had a professor who said that um, when you do theology, your theology has to pass the grandma test. So uh, would would the old grandma in church who loves God a million times better than you be able to um, to assent to what you're saying if explained correctly? Because she has a more intuitive, she has a greater intuitive and uh, implicit knowledge of the faith than 
than you would ever have. Okay, a little off topic, but you are a good debater. You changed Paul's mind on James White promoting heresy in a few minutes. Oh, thank you. I've I've thought about debating, but I mean debating debating is really what gets you the views. So if I really wanted to just blow off, I, blow up, I would just uh, debate and debunk everybody. But that's not really that's not really my style. Um, I, I don't know. I think I think that's a really dangerous uh, path to go down. Is I've seen it. I've seen it happen before. Guys like James White, who. Um, their entire like personality is built around debunking people. And that just leads to being a really nasty person that, that nobody like nobody wants to be around. And it's really damaging to your spiritual life to always be on the mode of attack, attack, attack. And especially as a young man, that is, that is definitely a, a cardinal sin that, that we have to deal with. So I'm assuming there's no ladies watching right now. Okay, how does the Holy Spirit interact with the incarnation and the indwelling of Christ's nature? If we only know our thoughts through our spirit, did Christ only know his thoughts through the Holy Spirit? Well, um, this, this is an interesting question. Uh, when it comes to uh, def- when it comes to the mode of the incarnation, maybe I should do a whole AMA on the on the incarnation. You guys seem to be much more interested. Um, much more interested in the in the um, what man I can't think right now in the incarnation. Uh, so when it comes to this Christ, uh, we, we have to make a distinction uh, between Christ's humanity and his divinity. Obviously, um, with his divinity, it would be the same mode of intellection as is present with the whole Trinity, because um, the intellect is a property of nature, not of person. And that being said, when it comes to Christ's humanity, he would have the, when it comes to the knowledge of Christ, which is what I'm thinking I'm going to do my PhD thesis on, because this is a very interesting topic. So when we speak of Christ's knowledge, um, and I'm assuming you're speaking of um, um infused knowledge. Uh, I think that's the question you're asking about, which is in tertia pars. If you look at the question on infused knowledge, it should be, should get a much better answer than I can give you. But um, we have to make a distinction between first act and second act, or um, the distinction is made uh, between in Christ's humanity and from Christ's humanity. So from the human mind of Christ, there is ignorance. But because of the hypostatic union and because of the theosis that happens um, from the spirit and from the union with the divinity, what you have is you have an infusion of all possible knowledge in accordance with the um, capacity of the human mind. So Christ knew in his humanity all possible knowledge that could be known by a human Um but from his his humanity, he would have been ignorant if it weren't for that infusion that happens at the very moment of conception. So Christ as a baby could know all that a baby could know. Christ as a toddler could know all that a toddler could know and, and so on and so forth, which is the meaning of his growth in, in wisdom and in knowledge. So I hope that hope that helps. Because the manner of his intellection would be the same 
as the manner of intellection of any other human, any other man. I'm tired of saying human. Favorite patristic text concerning the Trinity, if the answer is Augustine's De Trinitate, give a second place. Um, Hillary is obviously pretty good. Um, I really like John of Damascus's um, exposition um, in De Fide Orthodox, Orthodoxia. I don't know. I probably just made that up when it comes to the Latin. Yeah, but it is only Orthodox faith um, in book one. Uh, he has a pretty cool um, outline of that, which actually does go into the psychological analogy of the Trinity, which is interesting because there, there's an old myth, and this is picked up by some online Orthodox, that the Eastern Fathers do not accept the psychological analogies of the Trinity. And that was just made up by Augustine. But John of Damascus, St. John of Damascus, um, does use them. Analogy is linked to the Neoplatonic notion of participation, which is really important for Aquinas. Yes, that was hugely important uh, for me um, when I did realize that about Aquinas' thought, and this was through reading Grenier, is that when it comes to being, um, being is not being in itself, because being itself, um, self-subsistent being, is, is God. But when it comes to created being, it is participated being. It's being um, ab alio. It's being in another. So that was very important. Um, and that's actually how I how I overcame the difficulties I had with transubstantiation regarding the inherence of accidents. I've learned that debating makes you a worse Christian. Yes, I'm I'm trying to save my soul out here, boys. So. Uh, <laughs> Sorry if I disappoint, but I just want I just want the beatific vision. And if anything keeps me back from that, I ain't gonna do it. How to reconcile divine simplicity and trinity in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's I, I was about to say I think it's pretty easy. It's not really easy. Uh <laughs> I, I was that that was just a knee-jerk response from me. But uh it's it's not impossible. I guess I guess that's a better way of saying that, of uh, an apophatic way of saying it. Not impossible. So uh, I, I think the most important recon, uh, recognition recognition recognition. I promise I can speak. The most important recognition is that when we speak of divine simplicity, uh, we are speaking in accordance with the nature of God. So when it comes to the subsisting relations that we call persons in the trinity while they are really distinct from one another they are not distinct from the essence of god so the persons aren't uh, parts they're not metaphysical parts within the divine essence but they are identical well not uh, identical but they are only rationally distinguished from the essence of god the persons are only distinguished in our mind from the essence of god so that being said, since they are only subsisting uh, relations of of essence, it does not uh, make the, the Trinity a composition of parts, but a um, a reality of the singular and and completely simple essence of God. So I hope that's that helps. Um, I don't think I explained that too clearly, which is which is probably my fault.
Thank you for the answer. I agree with you. We will be judged on our charity, purity, and humility. I don't think Jesus will ask us, did you read the Summa? That is true. The the Summa. But this, the Summa, interestingly enough, uh, I have mine right here. But if you want to know the biggest section of the Summa, It is Secunda Secunde. That is the biggest section of the Summa. Second part of the second part. And if you look in Secunda Secunde, what is it mostly about? It is mostly about the virtues, meanness, patience, perseverance, vices, gift, temperance, etc., 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 fasting, abstinence. So if we're going to be Thomistic, we have to recognize that when it comes to uh, our thinking that moral theology is extremely important. If God is purely actual, how can there be a distinction among the divine persons? Not really understanding uh, why that would follow. Um, sorry, it's just my dense intellect. So have you read St. Ambrose's on the Holy Spirit? I have not. It is It is in my reader. And I think what it comes to, oh yeah. So there's another dimension to this. While I certainly um, am not a historian, I am a dogmatician, in the words of James White. Um, when it comes to, if you want to know some of the history behind uh, uh, pre, pre-Nicene um, Trinitarianism and then... Uh, and all of that. Obviously, the gold standard is Patavius and his um, uh, De Trinitate, but most of you, I'm assuming, uh, aren't going to want to read volumes of Latin, so sorry. Uh, but if, if you want a really good overview of the Nicene um, crisis, then reading St. John Henry Newman's Arians of the 4th century is very helpful with understanding some of the history behind this. So is there a book, article, or manual that defines and explains classic philosophy terms? Because every time I read the classics and Aquinas, they always assume a knowledge thereof. There is, um, but uh, this this might actually be might actually be a good thing. But a lot of them are out of print. Um, so sorry, I keep referring to Grenier. Grenier is a little bit advanced, but there actually are some good one volume ones, uh, good one volume manuals of scholastic philosophy uh but they're out of print but good news they are on my list of books to republish so i will uh definitely let you guys know when i when i get those because republishing books that is very important because that helps me quit my job faster and it also helps you guys because obviously there's a need that is not being filled i don't want you to debate good I've seen a few back and forth that you have had and thought they were pretty good. Thank you. I think if I ever were to debate, because like we, we also have to recognize as much as I've been poo-pooing on, on debate and telling you how bad it is, um, that 
when it comes to the entirety of Latin pedagogy, when it comes to the entirety of scholastic learning, it was built on the foundation of the disputatio, of the disputation. So I think if I ever were to debate, um, I would want it um, to be in the form of a disputation and to approach it in that way. Um, I would be uh, distinguishing the major premise and conceding the minor premise and, and such when it comes to the person I'm debating. And I'm sure they would have no idea what I'm talking about, but I don't care because the more discipline that you put on yourself in a, in a debate to uh, purely look at um, propositions that are being set forth, um, premises that are being set forth, conclusions that are being drawn, and the logic behind what they're saying. The more you can focus on that and the less you can focus on rhetoric, which is why I have a big problem a lot of times with modern apologists is it seems more rhetoric than substance, then, um, then the better off you're going to be. Have you read Father Legge's book on St. Thomas's Trinitarian Christology? That is in my reader too. It's in my PDF reader. So I am, I need to finish. Um, I'm reading through St. Thomas's um, De Deo Trino again, his, his treatise on the Trinity again uh, within the Summa and reading it alongside Father Lagrange's commentary on it. So that's what I'm, reading through right now. Then after I'm done that, actually, that's the book that I'm going to pick up is Father Legge's book. Who has the best defense of the filioque in church history? Theologically, um, let me, let me pull it up real quick. Yeah, I had a very clickbaity title a while ago when it comes to this. St. Thomas destroys the Orthodox. Absolutely destroyed. Debunks Orthodoxy. Where is it? Um, maybe it's on Isidore. Uh, let's see. Nope, on well, the Catholic faith, the Greek fathers. There it is. Oh, it's in Latin here. Let me go on Isidore then to share my screen with you guys. I think when it comes to, I do have to make a distinction here because when it comes to the patristic citations of St. Thomas, they aren't the best. So make sure that you're careful with that. But contra errores grecorum, that is going to be the best work on this matter. And uh, his, again, his, Theological reasoning is absolutely glorious. I'm actually about to read it again um, because I love it so much. But um, his theological reasoning is solid, although you have to be really careful. Make sure you're double checking on a lot of um, a lot of the patristic citations that are used here because uh, a lot of fakes comes through. But just pay attention to his arguments. So I'd say that would be the best defense. Okay. I feel like I saw another question. I will elaborate on second question. Trinity implies that one person lacks something that the other has, has some potency, so that they may be distinct by virtue of difference. 
St. Thomas has a question on this. I just remembered. I will point you in the right direction. This is a very complicated answer. It's in De Potentia, if memory is serving me right. There you go. On the power of God, of God's generating power, the processions of the divine persons, maybe. Okay. The divine persons. Sorry for all the dead air. I need to read De Potentia again. This is this looks really good. Okay, there you go. Whoop. Man, oh yeah, this is an absolute wall of text. I will I will send it in the chat. Um, that'd be that'd be like a thing for an entire video. Okay, um, so it's going to be De Potentia, question two on God's generating power. Because you'll see that it is included essentially and not notionally. And that's a quick and dirty answer to your question. So I just sent it. And I can, if, if there's enough outcry, I can do a whole video on it going over um, uh, De Potentia, question two, if you guys want. What is your opinion on Savonarola? Was he justified in his actions? Did he go too far? Um, my knowledge of Savonarola really comes from uh, a TV show. So not the greatest expert on Savonarola. But for what I've heard about him besides that, I was actually, I, I need the, I should probably DM him. But uh, I actually had a guy who's a big fan of Savonarola who was supposed to come on the show uh, before I went on my little break to to talk about Savonarola and how he was actually um, amazing. So maybe maybe now that you remind me, I need to reach out to him, and talk to him. But uh, for my for my first uh, impressions, I would say that he was definitely justified because. You just have to look at the papacy at the time. It was a Borgia Pope. I don't understand how Orthodox are considered schismatics since they have a different concept of the Trinity and don't accept the Immaculate Conception. Aren't they heretics? So let me pull up something for you real quick. So... I think we need to define our terms very carefully when we speak of heretics and schismatics. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to share my screen. I'll hide your question. So this is from the Catechism of Pope Pius X. So who are heretics? Heretics are those of the baptized who obstinately ref refuse to believe some truth revealed by God and taught as an article of faith by the Catholic Church. For example, the Arians, the Nestorians, and the various sects, Protestants. Okay, and then down here. Who are the schismatics? 
Schismatics are those Christians who, while not explicitly denying any dogma, yet voluntarily separate themselves from the Church of Jesus Christ, that is, from their lawful pastors. So, really, um, it's going to, I, I would say, at least for my brief judgment in interpreting those two definitions, that uh, you're going to get the fact that the Orthodox, um, by any meaningful definition of the term, are heretics. Because Vatican I happened, and while you do have, um, I, I would say that uh, with a lot of the Orthodox and with the official teaching bodies of the Orthodox Church, that they are Orthodox, no pun intended, on their view of the Filioque, and that they are, um, a lot of them are Orthodox, no pun intended again, on the Immaculate Conception. But because of the denial of papal infallibility, um, you get them falling into heresy. So that's just, yep. Because it has been, um, it is of faith and defined by the church. So take that for, yeah, that's right, Elijah. That's what I said. Um, contra errores corcorum. It does have many forgeries. So I said the theological reasoning is what you need to pay attention to. Uh, but when it comes to a lot of the patristic citations, you do have to be careful because, uh, like, especially on the papacy section, I think it was like 80%, 90% of the patristic citations in the papacy section, which is just a little part of the end of it in book two, is, is, uh, is forgeries. So... Um, I have a whole video on where you can get all of, if, if you just scroll down a bit, uh, it's the first video I did in my recent series on the uh, the complete works of St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, I do show you where you can find um, all of the, um, what can I think, all of the texts of St. Thomas Aquinas online for free. And regarding your response to my second question, it sounds like you claim the distinction of the persons is virtual. That wouldn't be modalism. It would be modalism. So what I said is that the distinctions between the persons um, are real, whereas the distinction of the person in the essence is virtual. Okay. Okay. Distinctions in the mind have a basis in reality. It's incoherent to say that there is a distinction in the mind without a basis in reality. Where did I... Did, did I say it didn't have a basis in reality? It does have a basis in reality. Rational distinctions have a basis in reality. Let me just pull up a text from St. Thomas for you real quick. Should do this in the first place. This is what happens when I work off the cuff. Okay, it's going to be in prima pars. Let's go down here. 28. Yes, 28. Okay. Um, where did I see this? I was reading it earlier and I saw it. 
Okay. He explained it in a very good way. Sorry for all the dead air on here. That was my elbow. Okay, where? I promise I'll find it. This is going to annoy me so bad. I think it might be on Article 3. Okay, there it is. There it is. I knew I would find it. Okay, let me zoom in. Okay. Yeah, sorry if I misspoke. That's very common for me. So it's all my fault. Okay, this is in uh, Prima Pars, Question 28, Article 3, Objection 1. Whether the relations in God are really distinguished from each other. Question 1. It would seem that the divine relations are not really distinguished from each other. For things which are identified with the same are identified with each other. But every relation in God is really the same as the divine essence. Therefore, the relations are not really distinguished from each other. And then reply to objection 1. According to the philosopher, this argument holds that whatever things are identified with the same thing are identified with each other. If the identity be real and logical, very important. For instance, a tunic and a garment, but not if they differ logically. Hence, in the same place, he says that although action is the same as motion, and likewise passion, it does not follow that action and passion are the same, because action implies reference as of something from which there is motion in the thing moved, whereas passion implies reference as of something that is from another. Likewise, although paternity, just as filiation, is really the same as the divine essence, nevertheless, these two, in their own proper idea and definitions, import opposite respects. Hence, they are distinguished from each other. So I hope that helps answer your question. That I thought was a great analogy when it came to action and passion. May I ask your opinion on the Orthodox apologist Ubi Petrus and why he didn't make you choose Orthodoxy? Thank you. I haven't really listened to much Ubi Petrus. Um, I think maybe I listened to one video of his, perhaps. I think I remember um, when, like, him and Eric Yabara were fighting or something. I listened to one of his videos. I don't know. Um, I... He's just he just does videos and stuff that I'm not really interested in. Like I'm I'm not a historian by any means. So like really the only historically adjacent um thing that was involved in my conversion had to do with uh, the development of doctrine. Okay. So has your Trinitarian theology changed since you went from Prot to Catholic? Not really. I would say the only uh, adjacent thing has to do with um, the authority of the Filioque. So that's really more of a canonical than a dogmatic thing, though. Genesis 1 is speaking about the Trinity. Scholars can keep coping. Yes, that is correct. 
when you were explaining the alleged real distinction affirmed by St. Palamas, though he never uses that phrase ever. Yeah, I understand that. I, uh, like I said, um, I'm not going to make a, I, I said explicitly that I'm not going to make a judgment on Palamas because um, the only edition of the triads that was available to me and that I read um, apparently wasn't really a good, good edition. So yeah, um, that's exactly what I said. So can't really make a judgment on him. I can just make a judgment on what I see from other Orthodox. I use the wrong expression. They have a different concept of the Trinity, which is a fundamental dogma. Okay. Uh, let me, I'll just wait like two minutes to see if you have any more questions on the Trinity, but I have to get going here soon. Just got to make sure I throw, throw that link in. Make sure you go to this link. You want a nice little outline. The Trinity. Boom. Right there. Go all the way to the bottom. Hunter's Outlines of Dogmatic Theology. What do you think about all these Baptists trying to revive Nicene Orthodoxy. I'm very appreciative. Um, I mean, I was first taught Trinitarian theology from Presbyterian, who was a uh, is part of the, the Reformed Catholic movement. So he was very helpful um, in informing the basis of my understanding of Trinitarian theology. He really helped me, especially with uh, the struggles I had in understanding what was meant by hypostasis. That was, that was definitely a huge thing that he had focused on. But I really appreciate it that um, they're correcting the errors that have become uh, generally prevalent amongst uh, evangelicals uh, when it comes to eternal subordination of the Son. Liam, did you and Ethan make it to Mass? Ethan's not here yet. I was just going to stream until Ethan came, but he's not here yet. Um, so I, I do not know. Uh, but Mass is at 7, and it's only like 35 minutes away. But I wanted to go to confession beforehand, so we will see. Cardinal Newman, although not a Thomist, is a great thinker indeed. He was more keen on patristic thought. Yeah, he is, he is a wonderful historian. That's what I tell people. I'm like, hate Newman all you want, but he is a he's 10 times the historian than any of the modern historians we have. What do you think of philosophical arguments for the Trinity? Can it be doctrine asserted positively, not just defended? It cannot be. Uh, because when it comes to our knowledge of God in creation, it uh, creation um, in the power to create comes from the inseparable operation. Uh, we cannot know the distinctions. The only ways we can know the distinctions, which is found in um, uh, Augustine's Sorry, my wife's putting stuff on my desk and I don't know what it is. Augustine's De Trinitate through Lombard sentences into Thomas and the rest of the tradition has to do with what's called the, the footsteps of the, the Trinity or the, the very um, weird metaphysical marks that are found in being itself. 
um, which is which is asserted. Uh, it's a very interesting argument. And then obviously the soul is the image of the Trinity. So some knowledge can be gained from that, um, but only with presupposing a prior knowledge from Revelation. So, yeah, so like Richard of St. Victor, who famously put that idea forth, was, was wrong. Um, but that being said, I have not uh, read uh, Richard of St. Victor as a primary source. I've only read him in secondary sources, although I do have his treatise um, in PDF that I need to, need to read. Okay, I've just got a... That is weird. It's got a... Facebook Messenger. That might be from Ethan, Liam. Ethan's a beast. I need to have him on to talk about justification. He'll destroy every single Protestant ever on justification. He is like 20 times smarter than me. Oh, that's you, Liam. You're the one. If we miss Mass, Ethan and I are just going to do a massive three-hour stream just talking about the Book of Romans. Okay, how strong of an argument can one make for the Yoannine comma? I think you make a pretty strong argument. And the reason I say that is because of how early it appears. So if memory is serving me right, it is used as early as Tertullian in, um, in against Praxis, Praxius. So this is late 2nd, early 3rd century. So that's pretty darn early uh, when it comes to the history of theology. So it's used very early. Um, in Latin sources, it appears in the Vulgate. It is it it is received as a whole by the church. So those those factors in and of itself would, even if it is not original, the Saint John, um, because it has been received by the church as um, yeah, it's it's super it's super weird to think about. But uh, what is what is really stopping? Um, what is really stopping something? being inspired through the instrumentality of a scribe. Um, so I, I don't know why it wouldn't be canonical since it is received by the whole church, even if it wasn't written by St. John's pen himself. It was added by a scribe. But um, a second argument is that it makes better sense in the flow of the text. And then a third argument is that it's easy for a scribe to have skipped over. Um, I think it's verse 7 in this case, or verse 8. I can't remember which one would be the comma. So uh, there, there's an explanation for why it wouldn't appear in a lot of them. But the opposite is, I think, a bit more of a difficult argument. But even, even then, um, I would say because it has been received by the church, even if it is a scribal error, that it would be um, canonical. Does Ethan have a YouTube channel? No, he does not, unfortunately. Um. Uh, what is your favorite Trinity debate online and who is your favorite non-Trinitarian? I don't have a non-favorite non-Trinitarian um, or a favorite Trinity debate online. I don't really watch Trinity debates. Oh, that would be a very difficult question. Eyeball fear in Italy is very late, almost midnight. God bless everyone. Thank you, Christian. You're welcome, Andrea. Thank you for coming here. I get a kick when people call you a teenager. I know, right? It's crazy. How am I a teenager? Okay. Well, it sounds like Ethan's here. So thank you, everybody. And God bless. Maybe later stream of justification. Depends on whether we make it to mass. Wrong.